We're talking about the fundamentals, right. the basics of communication. What does it take? Mm -hmm. And let's not take it for granted right. because I got to tell you, here we are, two psychologists. We work on this all the time, yes, and it's still easy to stumble over these fundamental skills. We're just here for this brief period of time, and so shouldn't we invest our time here on Earth and even our marriages um, on things that will matter afterwards. Who put us here and designed us and designed marriage for His glory, for His purposes? It's not about us. So glad you're with us here at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are starting a new sermon series called I Do. And uh, kind of the way we're going to wrap up that series is with that little conference. It's a live simulcast. Many of you have said to me, is Francis Chan really going to be at South City? I'm like, no, sort of, not really. He's going to be here, but really he's going to be there. It's going to be a simulcast event on video. But it'll be live somewhere. I'm not sure where they're even holding it, but it's live and we're going to get to tap in. And it's like $30 a couple. It's the same, basically the same price of going to see a movie, right? But tr trust me, this is an investment in your marriage. So I really encourage you to, to spend the money, come out and be with us if you're married, even if you're engaged, whatever the case may be, even if you're single and you want to come learn some things about marriage, that would be great. Come on out, okay, and register. Uh, you can register online and you, you can just see this QR code here. All you have to do is Click it with your smartphone, and it'll take you right to registration in just a little bit. Well, last Sunday was Easter. Wasn't that awesome? It was so exciting. I, I love Easter. Uh, you know, when we launched South City two years ago, we launched to 232 people here on our campus. We were blown away. Like, oh my gosh, 232 people. That was pretty exciting. And, uh, and then the, last Sunday, we kind of shattered that record. We had 295 people on the campus at South City. Isn't that awesome? Now, I say that we don't just celebrate numbers, okay? We're not just celebrating some kind of obligatory number. No, what we're celebrating is the fact that people are coming to understand who we are. They're coming to visit and see our hearts and see what God is doing in and around us. And more than anything, we celebrate His Spirit's moving through us, right? We had one person saved in our service at least and we got to baptize three people. We got to dedicate some babies. It was just a wonderful, wonderful day to be together. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all that God is doing. Uh, I honestly believe God is doing something special in our, our families, even as Lori said in the welcome. Um, God is bringing us together as a family. And I hope that you feel it. When you're here, I hope you feel like you're part of a family. We use this phrase all the time. She even used it this morning, that we want to be a family of families. You might not have heard that phrase. It's pretty simple. It's basically, we have all these individual families, your family, my family is an individual family. We come together and we become a family of families, right? But at the very core of those individual families, it's so important that our families, our individual families are strong families. It's so important that our individual families are biblically sound and strong, right? Don't you agree? And sometimes I've just noticed that we've kind of let some of the strength of our marriage just kind of let it become secondary or even worse at times. And so if, if I'm being honest with you, I wanted to tell you the reason we're doing this series. You know, it's, it's interesting. I've only been a lead pastor of a church for two and a half years. And so as we've picked sermon series, it's been for different reasons. You know, uh, this is the first one that I just, in my heart, I thought, we need this. This is what I mean. I, I see in some of our marriages some struggles, if I'm being honest. I see some struggles with communication. We don't know how to speak to, we, to one another. Some of us are, are so stuck, we don't even want to speak to the others. I see some of us struggling with other issues, whether it be finances or difficult baggage in our marriage or relationships from the past, whatever the case may be. I see some of our, our marriages struggling with intimacy, in different conversations that we've had. And all those things honestly break my heart. I want your marriage to be founded upon Jesus and strengthened by his word. Okay? 
That's what we want. That's what we pray for. That's what we need to be as believers in Jesus. And the only way we're going to get there is if we submit ourselves to him and trust him for uh, the marriage he wants in our homes and in our lives. But here's the deal. Marriage is hard. Maybe you hadn't noticed. Marriage is difficult, right? It is, it is I mean, it's, you know, you go sort of from the, one, the wonderful wedded bliss of marriage, oh, right, to blisters in marriage. You go there pretty quick sometimes, right? And so I remember laying on the beach, Lori and I were laying on the beach in, on our honeymoon, and we were just kind of looking at each other going, I kind of feel guilty. This feels crazy. Like, God is so good. We're so blessed to be with each other and be here in this beautiful place, and we're married. Oh, my gosh. Right? There was just this wonderful moment. And then as the years go by and as stuff happens, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say stuff. Life, kids, finances, broken dreams, missed expectations, whatever the case may be. Stuff happens in your marriage. And it's not as blissful. In fact, it's actually difficult. Arkansas has uh, traditionally been a state that is always ranked very high. We're number four or five in divorces in the whole nation. Not something to celebrate. It's very sad. But our, our, our state is one of the highest in divorce rates in the whole country, fourth or fifth. And it's been there for a long, long time. Pew Research has done a study, and I thought this is very interesting. In the year 2000, in the state of Arkansas, there were about 15,000 marriages. In 2017, in the state of Arkansas, there were 9,500 there was a drop in marriages of 30% or more. Why? I just don't think we value it. It's not important, right? Is marriage important anymore? Does it matter? If Jesus is your Savior, it should matter. Because in his word, this is what relationships should be made of, right? It should matter. But for whatever reason, we're seeing that relationships and marriage in a marital way, are declining in so many different ways. If I were to tell you my opinion of what I think is the reason, I would say it's because we're selfish, self-centered, and disobedient. I, I think that's where we are. If we're being really honest and we look at our own hearts and we look at our own marriages and our own situations, the reality is we're selfish people and disobedient to God's word. We either look at marriage as God's design or man's design, and that can really mess us up. Look what this uh, blogger and author, Tim Shalise, has said. Um, I think this is an interesting quote. He says, marriage is more than a contract, if you're following on your card this morning. He says, the most common view in Western culture is marriage as contract. In this view, marriage is essentially a contract between two autonomous individuals, which they use as a means of fulfillment or self-advancement. Those who hold this view understand marriage as a man-made institution that was created for the mutual benefit of those who choose to enter into it. Because human beings invented marriage, it remains in effect only as long as human beings find it beneficial and desirable. When it no longer provides fulfillment or self-advancement, when it becomes inconvenient, unenjoyable, or just plain difficult, it can and should be easily dissolved. Such a marriage works only as long as it benefits the two individuals. Have you seen that in your friends? Have you seen that in culture? See, as Christ followers, we know that this is not true. Marriage is not a human creation. Marriage is created by God for his glory, not by humans for our convenience or for our feelings, or for whatever reasons we come into marriage for. Marriage is more than a contract. You know, when I think about contracts, I think about business partners sometimes. I've had a few different little businesses and business partners and things, and, and, and when you enter into a business, you want to know that your partner's going to do his part, I'm going to do my part, together we're going to work, we're going to have a successful business, right? It's kind of like, hey, I'll do my 50%, you do your 50%, and we'll be good to go. And what happens a lot of times in marriage is we enter with this 50-50 kind of concept, right? Honey, you do, you do your part, I'll do my part, we'll have a great marriage, right? 
But the problem is what that leads us to is real specific selfish things. Or it leads us to keeping a record of wrongs. Well, you didn't do that part. Well, you said you were going to do these things and you didn't do them, right? But what we see in the gift of salvation through Jesus is that he gave us everything, didn't he? He didn't hold anything back from us. Ephesians says that salvation is his gift to us. It's a gift of salvation. He didn't say, hey, Drew, I know you need to be saved. So tell you what, you come up with 50% of, of your righteousness and I'll take care of the rest. How about that? Drew, you take care of 50% of a sacrifice and I'll do the rest. How about that, buddy? No, listen, I don't have 50% righteousness. I don't have 40, 30, 20, 10, or even one. I have zero righteousness. None. Jesus had to give me 100% of my righteousness. All the righteousness that I have is not in me. It's in him only. And that is what he wants us to to do and, and, and the way he wants us to serve one another in our marriages, 100% to zero, right? Now, the hope is that your marriage and your spouse doesn't have zero, but it, the thing is, is you don't worry about that. You just serve 100%. You serve 100% and stop trying to live a 50-50 marriage because when, when Lori gives 100% and I give 100%, look at all that grace covering over, Right? When I'm not worried about how she's serving, but I want to outserve her. I want to outlove her. I want to help. I want to do everything I can. There'll be so much grace. There'll be so much love that God will be glorified in our marriage. I believe that. It's how you see your marriage. It's not 50-50, but 100-0. You know, we start this series today. It's called I Do. I don't know if you noticed on the graphic. It's got a little highlighter under the eye. That's intentional. <laughs> the concept is yeah, I want us to think about our marriages over the next three weeks. But more specifically, I want us to think about your specific role in marriage. Not just our marriage, but no, what is your role, your responsibility? What is God calling you to do in marriage? Because at some point you said, I do, right? You don't stand before a pastor and we can go, we do. We do as a unit. No, two individuals come together and say, I do. I will. And that's what I want us to really focus on these next few weeks is our personal responsibility in marriage. Do you see your marriage as a, a, a God thing or a man thing? Is it holy or is it mundane? Look at what uh, this Dr. Gary Thomas says in his book, Sacred Marriage. Wonderful book. He says, the key question is this. Will we approach marriage from a God-centered view or a man-centered view? In a man-centered view, we will maintain our marriage as long as our earthly comforts, desires, and expectations are met. In a God-centered view, we preserve our marriage because it brings glory to God and points a sinful world to a reconciling Savior. I love that. How do you see your marriage this morning? How do you see it? Is your marriage a Christ-centered marriage? Well, all that means is Christ is at the center of your marriage. Is he there? Do you live that way? Do you love that way? Do you serve that way that he's in the middle? I'm going to say something that sounds kind of basic and super elementary, and it is, but it's not easy necessarily. You see, in order to have a Christian marriage, you have to be a Christian. In order to have Christ at the center, you have to have said, Lord, I surrender. I surrender who I am and, and, and everything about me, I surrender it to you. I want to honor you. I want to place you in the center of my life. And when we come together in marriage, we want to place you in the center of our marriage, of our home, of our family. We have to come to the place where we realize what he wants is more important than what we want. Listen, sometimes I know it's easy to sit in church and just kind of let words, shoo, shoo. I want you to think about that. To be a believer in Jesus and to be married is to say, Lord, I want what you want more than what I want. I want your will more than my will. I want that to hit you. I want you to think about it and process it. Lord, I want to follow your direction in your word over my feelings. 
I want to follow your word and your direction over the baggage of my life, over the baggage of my home, over whatever I grew up in, what I know, my experience of marriage. You see, the thing is, is they don't tell you this in marriage counseling usually, but your marriage is probably going to be made up of a few things. And when things get stressful and you get into trouble with each other, there's going to be some things that happen. You're going to fall back into your own experience or you're going to fall back into sinfulness because that's who we've been, right? You're going to fall back into your own experience of marriage or to sinfulness. This is, this is what I mean. I remember when Lori and I were um, in college. We were, I think we were, I don't remember, freshman or sophomore. We were young. And we were in love, y'all. I mean, we were in love. I mean, how can you not love this beautiful woman? And uh, however... <clears throat> We had had our first little fight, our little discussion, argument, right? We're driving along, along in my little car, and we're having a discussion. And it gets a little heated, and it gets a little loud, and we get a little cross. And when it finishes, the little fight or argument finishes, I just feel awful. I just, I'm very, I'm a feeler, you know, I feel a lot of things. I'm just... I'm distraught and driving along, and I just say something like, well, I just, I just hate it when we fight. And I looked over at Lori, and Lori kind of cocked her head at me. She said, oh, that wasn't a fight. <laughs> With the little neck thing and everything, you know. Oh, that wasn't a fight. And I remember going, wait a minute. Listen, in that one moment, all of a sudden, we understood that our backgrounds were different. We came from two different places, two different experiences, and two different definitions of what a fight is. And in that moment, we, it was beautiful because the, the Holy Spirit started helping us understand. And we started talking about it, and I was like, oh, yes, it was a fight. Are you crazy? She said, oh, no, no. That wasn't a fight. I didn't hit you. <laughs> right? I didn't, I didn't, we didn't scream at each other, right? <laughs> Something like that. But the point is this, her experience growing up was a little different than mine. Well, my parents, and they're, they're probably shaking right now in the boots, but, but when they would get, dis, you know, discombobulated, there, weren't, there were no loud arguments. There were no screams. There were no, there was, a, there was an awkward tension maybe in the room, like, oh, something's going on, Right? Something strange in the force here. But in Lori's experience, there were loud comments. There was abrasive moments. There was some dysfunction that was lived out, which made her definition of a fight or an argument different than mine. It was so important for us to in that moment go, okay, we come from different places and different definitions, and so let's take that into consideration when we discuss, when we argue or fight, however, whatever word you want to use, right? First step in being, having a Christian marriage is being a Christian. It sounds silly. It sounds elementary, but friends, I, I think we've forgotten that. Even the best of us, even those with long-standing marriages, I think we've forgotten that actually to have a Christian marriage, you should be a Christian. I want to ask us a few questions this morning, can I? Here's the questions. Here's the first one. Are you as concerned for your spouse as you are for yourself? Are you as concerned for your spouse as you are for yourself? Because Jesus said this in Matthew 22, 37, in the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest, the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Guess who your closest neighbor is? Your spouse. That's your closest neighbor. Do you love them like you love yourself? You care for them like you love yourself. Listen, nobody knows the things I love more than me. And I think I know the things that she loves as well. And because we know those things, that's how we ought to serve. Like she is me. I know what she wants. Let me, let me provide that for her. Let me care for her in that way. Let me love her even over myself. But often we don't because we're selfish and self-centered. Here's another question. Don't try, uh, or do you try and bless your spouse and ease their load? 
You know, uh, we, we're busy, man. We're, the, our homes are so busy. Our jobs are busy. Our hobbies, all the things we got going. Do you try and help? This is what Paul said in Galatians 6 too. He says, bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. I'm not even talking about marriage relationships. I'm just talking about being a Christian. That's what our discussion is today. What does it look like for a marriage to be a Christian marriage and for you to treat each other as believers in Jesus? Treat each other over your own interests, your own wants and desires. Bear one another's burdens. I know when Lori has to ask me to do something, there's something in me that just goes, oh. I hate that she had to ask me to get up and help with the kids. I hate that she had to ask me to come do the dishes. I hate that she had to ask me to vacuum the bin. Whatever the case may be, I don't want her to do that. I want to do it before she asks. And I fail a lot. And she has a lot of grace. Trust me, we celebrate 25 years in just a few weeks. That's a lot of grace on her part, I promise you. Verse 5 says this. It says, for each will have to bear his own load. I think that's interesting, right? In other words, do your part. I do. We each have to bear our own load, but then after we bear our own load and we do what we're responsible for, how do we ease each other's load? How do we care for each other's needs? How do we serve one another? Are we helping our spouses around the house, encouraging one another? Are they carrying something even emotionally that we can encourage and love and support? Are we helping with the kids? Are we proactive in how we serve? Are we doing our part? See, I think we have to stop living out of some old um, stereotype of what marriage was. You know how many of us come to marriage with the stereotypes that are, I don't know what. They're just ingrained in our experience or our disobedience. That's, that's kind of where we're coming out of and go, we come out of experience and disobedience and go, let's try and make a marriage work. And we have these stereotypes in marriage that we just kind of think, maybe this is what marriage is. Honey, I work a job and you're not working right now, so I guess when I come home, I guess take care of all my needs. I mean, I work the job and you're here. I know telling what you're doing, right? So you do your thing and you'll handle a home and all my needs and all my food and all my clothes and all my kids and all, what? You remember the show Leave It to Beaver? Anybody else is showing how old I am? Leave It to Beaver, remember? So Leave It to Beaver was this kind of set in like the 50s or 60s, and it was black and white, and it was this really perfect family. I think it was his name, Ward June and Ward Cleaver. Neighbors down the street, you know. And it, I, the thing is, is June, she would come down the stairs with pearls, an evening gown, dress, high heels, and pull out like a roasted chicken. Honey, I'm glad you're home. Right? That is not the world we live in today, is it? It's not. And yet for some of us, we're living out of a marriage experience of some stereotype that's from leave it to the beaver instead of serve like Jesus. We need to leave some stereotypes behind and look at what Jesus says to do and how to serve in his word. That's what he's calling us to do. Hey, listen, if the family has some financial needs, are you both trying to find ways to work and, and meet those needs and help if that's good for the family in that way? Are you doing your part in cooking and cleaning, bedtime routines? Don't let stereotypes get in the way of you serving your family. We can't only focus on ourselves, on our needs. We all have needs. Listen, I, I don't want to be silly here. We, we all have very specific needs. But what we can do sometimes is we can say we have certain needs that aren't really needs. They're idols. And so what happens is we go, honey, I just had a really long day. Okay. I just need, I need to watch the, I just need to veg for a little bit. Ching, ching, ching. I just don't want to think. Let me just watch TV. Ladies, you might say, well, I, I just need to get into the, my book. I just, I just leave me alone. I need two hours of silence. I need some alone time. I need to get out of the house. Whatever the case may be. Friends, what, what we do is we end up trading our needs instead of a deeper relationship with Jesus. And we've made our needs idols sometimes. Listen, beware of needs in your lives that disguise themselves. 
They're idols. Beware. You got to be careful. Because listen, TV won't meet a need. Did you know that? Chill time won't meet a need. Only Jesus meets your every need. But instead of running to him, we run to what our experience is. Or we run to places where we don't have to think or we don't have to engage. And what you could be running to is an idol. Because anything that you place over your relationship with Jesus is an idol. Run to Jesus. Run to him. Run to his relationship. When you're exhausted, say, Lord, I'm I'm exhausted. I need you. I don't need something the TV can offer me. I don't need something I think gives me rest when you're the only one who gives real soul rest. He's the only one who can meet every need of your life. Beware of idols disguised as needs. Do you humbly serve your spouse over yourself? Look what Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Husbands, wives, Engaged couples, listen, can I just encourage you this morning? Resist selfishness. We all have it. We all want it. (laughs) We all want me time. We all want what we want. We want the things that are what we think are best for us. I just need to get out of town. That's what we need. No, 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 no. May not be what you need. Resist selfishness. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Paul here is talking in Philippians. He, he uses this phrase. He says, look to, the, to others' interests. Right? Not even needs, just interests. Some of you guys love to hunt. Can you imagine your wife coming to you on a Friday and going, hey, honey, I, I know that it's hunting season, right? And I just want you to know I've got plans for me and the kids tomorrow to do some stuff. Why don't you go hunting for six or eight hours? And we're gonna, we got stuff to do and have a great time with the guys. Your husband would be like, really? Really? Oh, I'm so loved. That's what he would feel. Am I wrong? Ladies, if your husband came to you and said, hey, honey, I, I, just, I hope this is okay. I've made some plans for you. I've got you a massage, right? A manicure. I'm going to clean the house and me and the kids are going to go to the park for the day. You just take care of yourself. Would that mean something to you, ladies? Would that be special to you that he thought of you in that way? That he put your interests and maybe your well-being and and the things that you want over himself? That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? Paul's saying, put each other's interests above yourselves. And he says, when you're doing it, have the mind of Christ. And then he sort of explains what the mind of Christ is. The mind of Christ is humility service, and obedience. When you look at that text, that's what it talks about. Christ humbles himself and and comes in the form of a man. Such humility that the God of the universe would humble himself to the form of a human being, right? And then he comes to serve us. And he's obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. Listen, if the holy king of the universe can humble himself and serve, I think you can too. I think I can too. Do you remember the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? It's a hard story for me to look at and to consider because when you know who he is, especially like last week we talked about the fact that he's worthy. He's the only one worthy in the entire cosmos. And yet here he is in the form of a man and he takes off his robe, his outer garments, wraps a towel around him, And washes the disgusting, dirty feet of his followers. Those guys wore sandals on dusty roads. You can just go there for a minute. Just imagine. right? I know what it's like after I weed eat the backyard. Pretty gross, right? Just imagine. And here's the Savior of the world disrobing. In fact, I'd like to read it. John 13, verse 1, he says, 
Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that phrase. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from, the, from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want you to see a few things about this story. This was prompted out of love. This, this event happened because Jesus loved. It said he had loved those that God had given him in the world, and he loved them to the end. So this happened out of love. The next thing I want you to see is Jesus washes Judas' feet. Do you see that? It said that the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And yet Jesus holds the, the dirty foot of his betrayer and washes it. After that, it says that he knew, Jesus knew God had given him all things. He'd given him all power. That he had come from God and he was going back to God. In other words, the mission's almost complete, right? It's almost done. And you've got all power in the world. I think if you look at this text and what Jesus is doing is so important. Friends, out of love, husbands and wives, even when your spouse feels like your enemy more than your friend, you serve. Even when your spouse feels more like an enemy than, than a friend or a confidant or your mate, or your lover, you still serve. You see Jesus wiping the feet of his betrayer? You still see him serving and loving and caring regardless of what Judas was about to do, Jesus saw into his heart. We see in plenty of times in Scripture where Jesus reads the intent of the heart of many people. He knew exactly what was on the heart of Judas, and yet he cleaned his feet. What does that teach us about forgiveness, about serving one another? The fact that Jesus had all power and who he was, this only begotten Son of God, that even when you're right, even when you're in the right, when you have rights, even when you've done nothing wrong, and if there's anybody we can talk about who, who did nothing wrong, it's Jesus. Even then, when you don't have to go the extra mile, and you do, that's what we see Jesus do. He washes the feet of his disciples. He did this as an example. This wasn't just sort of a, an event that's recorded. There was a very specific intention in this event. Look at John 13, 12. He says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand this lesson? I've just, done, I've just performed a lesson for you. Do you get it? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is what Jesus is saying to do to our fellow brothers and sisters. I'm just saying, what about your spouse? What about your spouse? What about the one that you're to love with all your heart? Here's another question. Are you quick to point out your spouse's mistakes or are you quick to forgive? Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 3. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Friends, shouldn't we consider our spouses before we consider them spouses, shouldn't we consider them brothers and sisters in Christ? Before we get married, you know, hopefully they're believers, you're believers. 
And before it's a spouse relationship, it's a brother and sister relationship. And yet something happens in a marriage where we stop acting like brothers and sisters. And we start treating people on the street better than we treat our spouse. We'll treat people at church better than we'll treat our spouse at home. It should not be. That should not be. God forbid that we would offer a grace to someone in the world or in the church that we wouldn't offer our own spouse. God forgive us. And if that is the condition of your relationship, can I, can I just say I'm praying for you? I'm praying that you would see and hear that that is toxic, that it is wrong. But just as we sang today, if God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter the condition of your relationship. It doesn't matter the brokenness of your home. God can heal any situation. He can bring the dead back to life, right? And he can do that in your marriage and in your relationships. I know it with all my heart. But sometimes we can be so hurt, so closed off, that we treat a stranger on the street better than we would treat our spouse. Listen, if we're going to have a Christian marriage, we have to love all people. We have to be obedient to Christ especially how we treat our spouses we have to love. At some point when you got married, you stood before a justice of the peace or a pastor, maybe in a church, and you said a few things. They're called vows. They're promises that you want to keep. I want to remind you of a few of them this morning. You probably said something like, for better or for worse. That means that Regardless of the condition of your marriage, regardless of the condition of your relationship, you said, I do. Now, listen, we were 21. I don't think you, you know just about nothing at 21, right? Except how much you love each other and Jesus. And so what we do is we stand on the, the edge of the unknown, and we go, I do, I do, I think I do, I do, I do. We don't know. But we make a commitment, we make a covenant with God and each other, and we say, yeah, I, I, I do, I will. Has your situation changed over the years? Of course. <laughs> Has your relationship changed? Yeah. Has it affected how you feel or serve or love or care for your spouse? I'm sure it has. But you said, I do, for better or worse, regardless of the condition of my marriage. You said, for richer or poor, regardless of the financial position of your marriage, right? Money matters are, are always in the top two, three, four, five of almost any list for reasons for divorce. Money can mess us up, y'all. It can really jack up your home and your marriage. You have to be together in your understanding and your goals and how you see and, and, and steward what God has given you. Or it can totally jack up your home. I just want to ask this question based on this message. Is there selfishness or disobedience in that topic for you? As you look inwardly, not at just the marriage, but at I do. Is there selfishness or disobedience there that you need to address? And then I ask this question, is God the God of your finances? Do you have a Christ-centered financial position in your home? Because if he's Lord of your life, is he center of your home, center of your marriage, he ought to be center of your, your finances. You ought to serve him with your finances in every way. We said uh, in sickness and in health, that means regardless of our health conditions, regardless of the difficulty you might have had to walk through in something that your spouse is dealing with, you stood on the edge and said, I do. Do you still? It's hard sometimes to care for one another in sickness and in health. Is there selfishness involved in, in some of those situations maybe? You said that you would love and cherish, right? I thought about that. To love and cherish, to, to adore, to care, to serve, all while being thankful and protective. I've, I've got this guitar. You know, if you know me very well, you know I really love guitars. And my first really nice guitar, I leave, it's at home. It's in our bedroom. 
and my 12-year-old's learning to play guitar. Well, I really love my guitar. In fact, I love and cherish this old guitar, right? And uh, I don't like go so far as like putting on a sock to play it, but um, I love this guitar. And so when my 12-year-old wants to learn to play guitar and she grabs it and starts walking out of the room, I'm like, ah, ah, watching every move, don't hit it, you know? I love and cherish that thing. It's precious to me. I don't want her to bang it up against the wall, you know? She doesn't cherish it quite the way I do. Here's the question. Do you still love and cherish your spouse? Do you still love and cherish your marriage and the covenant that you've made with each other in the Lord? We said we would forsake all others. In other words, I'll be faithful to you and you alone for the rest of my life. You know, one of the greatest hopes of my life is that on my dying bed, I can look into those beautiful blue eyes and say, I did it, honey. I was faithful to you. God has been the beautiful God of grace in our marriage, but that's a dream that I have. I hope I can live up to it by God's grace. But I'm not just talking about our bodies. I'm talking about our minds. Have you been faithful to your spouse? Are there sin issues that you need to address? Are there something that, that you need to confess? Is there something that you need to have friends around that you're struggling through? You can do that with people who love you. And then we said, at the end of our ceremony, we said, till death do us part. In other words, marriage is not a temporary thing. It's a permanent thing. As Christ followers, we have to figure that out. We got to make it work. Lori and I said from the very beginning, divorce is not an option. It, we've taken that off the table. It'll never be a discussion, Lord willing. We don't want that to be something that we would consider. Now listen, I know that there are biblical uh, situations that we have some understandings of where it's biblically appropriate to divorce. But even in those broken moments, Jesus is enough. Even then he's enough. Friends, I'm just asking you to take an honest look at yourselves. Not just at the marriage as a whole, but at yourself, your role. If you've been selfish or disobedient to the Lord, maybe ask the question, what can I do better to strengthen my marriage or the covenant that I made? What am I not doing? Where am I failing? Where have I messed up? Where can I be honest? I just want to remind you of what it is that you've done in that covenant and how incredibly important it is that we honor the Lord with our marriages and those relationships. Listen, maybe you've been so hurt, and I'm going to close real quick. Maybe you've been so hurt and wounded from some relationship or maybe from this marriage, something in your past. You honestly don't know how to begin to honor your marriage right now in this moment. Can I give you a few things to consider before we leave? Number one, it's why we have each other. If you are involved in a small group, if you have been intentional with others in relationship to share and confess and, and struggle and walk with each other, share where you are. Hey, we're struggling. Would you guys pray for us? We're trying to strengthen our marriage. We're trying to answer some things. We're trying to make things right. We've made some mistakes. Would you guys help us with that? We are not a perfect people. We're a forgiven people. So let's walk in our forgiveness, not in our perfection, in our marriages. Begin to pray. Begin to pray for a miracle in your marriage. Begin to pray for a miracle in you. That God would open your eyes to what you need to do to change, right? Sometimes these messages cause us all to go, kind of go, ooh, she needed to hear that, uh, ooh, right? No, no, no. Pray that God would begin to open up your eyes, your heart, make you willing to be obedient and selfless. Be quick to take responsibility in everyday situations, to do your best to love in humble service. Let your actions be your argument. I said this a while back, outserve, right? Outserve your wife. Let, let your actions be the thing that makes a change. Some of you have talked to and you're like, well, they just won't do this or they just won't do that. And you just go, oh, well, give up. No, no, no. You change. You start the change. You'd be the one willing to wash the feet, regardless of enemy status, regardless of your rightness or wrongness, right? You change. You begin to make things happen in your home. 
You begin to serve the way Jesus would have you serve, and I promise you something will happen. I promise you your heart will change if nothing else. Listen, if, if you go round and round, we all do. We all have these little divots in our marriage, right? The things that we, we, we get to this round and round place where we just kind of go into that divot and we have that same argument, you know what I'm talking about? That same thing that sets you off. This past couple of weeks, we've had a pretty bad pothole out here on the, I think where I'm at, yeah, out here off of uh, Childers Road. Pastor Daryl made a phone call, got that thing filled up. Some of you may need to make a phone call. Some of you are, are, are struggling so much that you don't know what to do except just keep hitting that pothole. I would drive down that road. I know the pothole's there. I kept hitting the thing. I kept driving into it, and that's what we do in our marriages sometimes. We drive into those arguments, and then we hit those potholes. And you need to call a professional, a Christian counselor. Not just a counselor, a Christian counselor that will help you see the things that you don't see. So that you don't have to go into those ruts again. Honor your covenant over your feelings. Honor your commitment to the Lord over your wounds. Be honest. Share authentically about where you are. Stay away from sarcasm. Stay away from hurtful defenses, because that's typically where we go, right? Selfishness, disobedience, it's usually in sarcasm and hurtful defenses. Stay away from those places. Place Christ at the center of the conversation, the center of your relationship, and seek him above a good relationship. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll add to you all the things that you need. Seek first the Lord, your relationship with him, and he will bring you together. I believe that with all my heart. We finished up the book of James recently, and I love the lesson that said, be quick to listen, slow to speak. And maybe we need to do that in our relationships. Listen more than we speak. And just hopefully for you, to bless you, uh, on our website, we have a little section on our website called Conversations. And it's kind of like a blog. And uh, last night I put up some marriage resources for your help. So if you're struggling in your marriage and you need to look through some things, there's some resources on our website under the conversation page. Uh, some great connections. In fact, Focus on the Family has a, a marriage assessment. It's free. And you might want to take that. It might help you lead to some good conversations. We're so blessed in our church to have uh, at least four different family units involved at Family Life which is a wonderful, wonderful ministry. We have at least four people here, or four families that are involved in family life, and they have great uh, resources, weekend to remember, art of marriage, and what's even greater for us is we've got, we've got these couples in our room. If you work at family life, would you guys stand up for us? I want our couples to see you. Scott and Ellie Williams, Scott Mesker, Mindy Stewart, and then we also have the Baltzleys, they're not here. Okay, thank you guys. I just want people to see your faces. I know their hearts, and I know that if you're struggling and you're hurting and you need somebody to talk to about marriage, I know without a shadow of a doubt they would say, come talk to me. There's all kinds of resources on that page, book suggestions, video suggestions, um, and I pray that you'll take advantage of those. Listen, we want to be a family of families. We want to be a healthy family of families. We want to be a church that has marriages that are strong, but they can't be if we're not even acting like believers. Next week, we're going to get a little more specific, like what would Christ have me do as a husband? Lori do as a, as a wife? How, what does that look like? But I just thought, man, what if we just started acting like Jesus followers? What if we started there? And we learned to serve one another over ourselves, care for one another, honor one another, bless one another, carry each other's load be quick to forgive. What if we just started there? I think God would do an amazing work in our marriages. Listen, the beautiful thing that I know is that there's nothing beyond God. If your heart is hurting right now because of some dysfunction in your marriage, I'm so sorry. God can heal it. God can bring joy and peace and purpose and life to that relationship because of who he is and what he does. He loves to bring life from dead things. Would you give it to him? Would you trust him with it? Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity today to, to share your word, to share 
just the concepts of what it means to be a Christ follower. Like we need to live this way for everyone, but especially those you've called us to love the most. Lord, I confess that I fail so often. I confess to you and to my wife. I, I fail so often. I make so many mistakes. I, I'm lazy at times. I've got idols that I place in front of you and her. And I'm sorry, Lord, would you forgive me? God, would you help me to see my need for you and my need to love her the way you loved me? And God, give me a courage. Help me not to be passive. Help me to be active, proactive to be the man of God you've called me to be, to love you with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, and to love my wife the way that Christ loved the church. God, would you give me the understanding of how to do that? Would you give me the courage to do that? Would you give me the boldness? Would you give me the selflessness, Lord, to step out of my selfish state, out of my experiences, whatever they may be, and out of my disobedience to follow you? and to honor you in this marriage covenant, to lay my life before my family and place them first. Lord, I pray for every husband in this room, for every wife, for every fiance, for every broken spot of every marriage. Jesus, you heal and you complete. And I pray that you would work, Holy Spirit of the living God, even in this moment around this room, that this message would cause conversations. This marriage would cause counseling appointments. This marriage would cause opportunities to trust you more and love you more. To be Christ-like, God, you've called us to live this way. Help us to move these thoughts, these processes into our marriages, into our homes, into how we love each other. We bless you and we thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' precious name.